Well, welcome to Rockbridge Community Church. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team, and wherever you have gathered with us, I want to welcome you, whether in Hickson, Calhoun, Dalton, Chatsworth, Ringgold, or perhaps you're watching online. Thank you so much for being here. We start a, a new series called The Cross Changes Everything, and so if you're new to Rockbridge, just understand we'll take messages and sermons and package them together for three or four weeks and talk about a topic or something. So we're going to talk about kind of what a lot of people wear on their, around their neck, or you see it on the back of their car, you see it on church buildings, uh, you see it in jewelry, on t-shirts, this, this, uh, this instrument of death, really, it would be like saying the electric chair changes everything if we lived in the first century Roman Empire, but the cross changes everything. So we're going to just kind of get underneath that and, and talk about that, because here's, here's what's kind of crazy. The Romans, <clears throat> who really perfected this method of execution, of, die, of, of killing criminals on a cross, the Persians kind of invented it, and the Romans certainly perfected it. The Romans may have killed hundreds of thousands of people or executed hundreds of thousands of people on a cross. You probably know two of their names, at most three. You know the name of Spartacus, and you know the name of Jesus, Spartacus, they just made a movie about him. He was this Roman slave that led a slave revolt. So you know his name because the Romans wanted people to know his name because they made an example out of him. In fact, once they quelled and crushed this rebellion, the Romans executed in one day by crucifixion about six to 7,000 slaves because they wanted everybody to know when you do something like Spartacus does it, this is what happens. And they just lined the highways of dead, dying bodies on crosses. And that's why you know Spartacus' name. If you've heard of Andrew, he's a, he was a disciple of Jesus. He was crucified like this, what's called Andrew's cross. Took him three days to die. And he would tell people about Jesus as they're walking by on the road. He's dying for being a Christian, telling people to become a Christian. That's some passion right there. So you may know his name, but really the other person's name that you know is Jesus. So of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that were executed by this method of execution, why do we know their names? We know about Spartacus. The Romans wanted everybody to know his name to make an example out of him. But now, why do we know Jesus' name? And did something more happen at Jesus' death on the cross when Jesus died that is, was more meaningful or more memorable or more impactful than the other hundreds of thousands of people that the Romans potentially crucified at, during the height of their empire. Would you join with me as we pray together? God, uh, we got people from all walks of life here. Some people wear crosses around their neck, put them on their cars. Some people aren't even sure what it means. But God, it is the central component of the Christian faith. So God, I pray you'd give us new eyes through this series through which to see this cross, this symbol, this method of execution. And God, that we know the name of Jesus because of how he lived and really most memorably how he died and the fact that he rose again. Help us to get underneath that, God, and understand what really happened on the particular cross, on the particular day in history when a man named Jesus of Nazareth died. In his name, we actually pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's like in our culture, we have really developed what I'll call like the 11th commandment. The 11th commandment of our modern culture, our politically correct culture, seems to be thou shalt not offend. 
I don't know if you've noticed that, but it is like we are all sitting on eggshells waiting to get offended by something. And as soon as we get offended by something, we, we, you know, we protest, we boycott, we put something on social media, we make a t-shirt, we want somebody to quit, resign, or get fired, or get fined, or get put in jail. That, and it just seems like the, the, the one thing we don't want anybody to do is be offensive. We don't want anybody to offend me, or we don't want anybody to offend this group, or this idea, or this ideology. And, and so we just kind of have this 11th commandment, thou shalt not offend, And if you offend anyone, you automatically are wrong by nature of the fact that you offended me, or you offended that person, or you offended that group of people. And so it's just like, the the, the big deal is, don't offend anybody, and if you offend me, then I can call you out, I can boycott you, I I can do whatever, because you are automatically wrong. And, and we live in that, and you, you watch the news on that. And I'm not, there are some legitimate offenses that we commit against each other that need to be called out, but it is like people just sit around and just don't be offensive. Be as politically correct as possible, and if you are offensive, then <coughs> you need to resign, you need to apologize, we'll boycott, we'll make a t-shirt, we'll put a bumper sticker on the back of the car. So is that good? Is that bad? But he- here's the challenge for, for, for you, here's the challenge for me, here's the challenge of Christianity in this culture, in our particular culture, which is, don't offend anybody, is this, Jesus, I'm going to make this statement, will and should offend us. Now, we, we've made Jesus, you know, the, the long flowing beard and the white robe and he's gentle as a lamb and all the kids are comfortable with him. And so we've made Jesus like this cuddly figure a little bit that we stick on the flannel graph in Sunday school, if you remember those days. So, but Jesus will and should offend us. And, and some of you may be, I don't know what Matt's talking about. Hang on. But he will and should offend us. And let me just say this. If he doesn't offend us, we may have the wrong Jesus, and, and again, I, you're like, whoa, I, I thought Jesus loves us. This I know, the Bible told me so, and we're supposed to love each other, and he taught us the golden rule. None of that seems real offensive. Hear me. If he's not offending us or has never offended us, I will make the case today, we have the wrong Jesus. I'm not sure, again, if you're not tracking, just bear with me. But you see the tension that's inherent in what we've talked about. Our culture says, if you are offensive, you are automatically wrong. If you offend me, you are automatically wrong. But I am telling you, if Jesus of Nazareth, the one, one of the reasons you and I know his name is his death is offensive. So Jesus will offend us. He should offend us. If he doesn't, we got the wrong guy. But our culture and our pride say If I am offended, somebody else is wrong. So this means if we got the right guy, the guy the Romans put on that cross, one of two that you know their name, if we got the right guy, the right Jesus, there is inherently going to be a battle inside of me and you because you and I both have this thing going And it means, especially in 21st century, there's going to be a battle and there's going to be a tension because the culture is saying, if you offend me, that makes you wrong, no matter what. So there's a tension here. But here's the point. 
if Jesus is not offending, we got the wrong guy. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to this letter that this guy named Paul wrote to a group of churches in what's called Galatia. And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, and, and I'm going to kind of work backwards. I'm going to tell you kind of the, the, the main verse of this section of Scripture, and then we're going to kind of reverse and see how Paul got there. Because here's what he says, and here's the point we're making. In that case, we don't know what case he's talking about because I've jumped in here and haven't set it up, but that's intentional. So in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So here's Paul saying he doesn't want the offensiveness of the cross to be abolished and us in our culture say that makes the cross wrong. We don't want the cross to be offensive, so we're going to put diamonds on it, and we're going to plate it in gold, and we're going to make it look all beautiful and all worthy of putting on a necklace or something or putting on some jewelry. We don't want the cross to be offensive, so we want to abolish the offense of the cross and change it a little bit because nobody wants to be offended. I mean, think of it this way. Think of it this way. You think if we made jewelry with electric chairs on it, and, and, and you think it would sell? Hey, here's a necklace with an electric chair on it. Here's one with lethal injection. How about one with firing squad? You think that would sell at the local jewelry store? Because why? That's offensive. The cross, according to the Bible, is supposed to be offensive, <coughs> which raises and creates some questions. And the questions are this What is the offense of the cross? What's Paul talking about? And what purpose does an offensive cross serve? Apparently, in Paul's day, just like in our day, our day, people didn't want offensiveness. They didn't want offensive faith or offensive religion. So they wanted to remove the offensiveness because being offensive doesn't serve a purpose. In our minds, for sure, in the politically correct 21st century, but it was going on in the first century of, of the Roman Empire as well. They were trying to abolish the offensiveness. But Paul, you know, one of the main leaders of the Christian movement, saying, don't remove the offensiveness of the cross. So what is going on there? And I just want you to understand, the reason you know Jesus' name of all those thousands of people who were killed on the cross is in part because it's offensive. Let's back up and see how Paul got there. Galatians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. As we read, <coughs> Christ has liberated us to be free. That is not offensive. That's exciting. So God is like pro-freedom. Some of you are like, whoa, really? I thought God was like pro-keep me at home on Friday night. I thought God was thou shalt not. Restrictions. Rules, regulations. Christ has liberated us to be free. There's nothing offensive about that. That's kind of exciting and compelling. That'd be like, hey, the Declaration of Independence, is that offensive? No, we're all kind of grateful we got that. And Paul says, no, stand firm then and don't submit again, meaning to something, to maybe bondage. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note. So he's like, don't go backwards. Stay free. There's nothing offensive about that. Then he goes on. He says, I, Paul, <coughs> tell you that if you get yourself circumcised, hope everybody knows what that is. If you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, you might be, what does that mean? So circumcision, all Jewish males would get circumcised in, in his day, okay? And, and if that kind of doesn't seem right to you, let's just pick any 
religious ceremony or anything. So if don't get if you get christened, if you get baptized, even in the spirit of what he's talking about, if you get confirmed, if you check the block, if you walk the altar call aisle, if you any religious ritual will, will work for what what Paul, the point Paul's making. But because of his context, it's all about hey, you got to get circumcised. Okay, so if you get circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. That's kind of interesting. Again, I testify to you, to every man who gets himself circumcised, that he is obligated to keep the whole law, every letter, everything. He's got to be perfect in his obedience. <clears throat> you who are trying to be justified, and that word justified is made right, feel acceptable, by the law, by doing what the law, this and that, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt be circumcised, thou shalt walk the aisle, thou shalt pray a sinner's prayer, all these kind of religious ceremonies and rituals that we've had for a long, long, long time, whether you come from a Baptist, Catholic, no background, or a Jewish background, we got them. So you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Jesus Christ, you're pushed away from Christ, and you have fallen from grace. So he's saying if, if you approach Christ, and so you're kind of like, why, the, the cross is offensive because the cross is offensive because you and I can't be made right without the cross is what he's saying. So the, the interesting thing is this really speaks to the need of a human heart. So let me, let me zoom out, and we're going to leave kind of circumcision for a while so the guys can relax, and, we'll, and let's go this way, okay? <clears throat> All right. People want to be right People want to be accepted. People want to be acceptable. I, you don't have to be a Christian. You want to be right. You want to be okay. You want to be acceptable. Okay? In fact, if you have a drinking problem, you took your first drink to either feel right or be accepted by the group you were with. If you're a girl and you gave up your virginity before you wanted to, you did it because you thought that will make him like me more or accept me or I'll be okay to him. And we can go on and on. We all want it. The, the kids that join gangs, you know what gangs offer kids? Acceptance. Acceptance. So there's this thing in me and in you, Christian, non-Christian, I just want to be right. I want to be okay. And we kind of know in some ways we're not. The question is, how are we going to be okay? For a first century Jew, get yourself circumcised, and then you're okay. And you'll be like, hey, I'm okay, I'm accepted, God loves me, I'm good. (coughs) Zoom out, go through a religious ritual or a religious experience, or your performance makes you okay. A lot of people, I'm okay because I'm good at sports, I'm okay because I'm good at my business, I'm okay because I've got a, you know, a girlfriend. I'm okay because i got you know, this many likes on my Facebook account. We're all doing it. We're all trying to feel, be right, be acceptable, be okay. Culture tells you there's one way to do that. Religion tells you there's one way to do that. But the cross becomes offensive because the cross is saying this. And this is what Paul was saying. Hey, if you get circumcised, the cross doesn't benefit you. Jesus doesn't benefit you because the cross says... We are not right or acceptable. And that offends us. If I just walked up to you and said, you're not right, you're not acceptable. Like, what what would I do? You're going to be offended. 
And what Paul is saying is the offense of the cross is God looking at all of us saying, as you are, you ain't okay. And and you can't add circumcision to it and suddenly feel okay. You can't add a religious ritual to it and be okay. You can't perform your way into acceptance in in, in God's eyes or in God's sight. So it's offensive for anybody to tell anybody you're not okay. We protest that in today's world. And and God says that to us through the cross. You can't add to the cross. You just got to take it as it is. Then then Paul continues, and he says this, For through the Spirit, through God, by faith, by dependence on God, so let's connect the dots, through the Holy Spirit, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by faith, so through our dependence on God, we eagerly wait for the hope, the promise, the expectation of righteousness. So we have to get our rightness not from our performance, not from the fact that we were baptized, not from the fact that we were circumcised, not from the fact that we're good at football, not from the fact that our bank account and culture say we're okay, not from the fact that we've got good looks, not from the fact that we've checked enough boxes. We have to get our rightness, which we all want really, 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 really bad. We have to get it by depending upon God. That's the only way to get it. And it starts at this offensive method of execution called the cross. So the culture says, if you offend me, somebody's wrong, and it ain't me. The cross says you are as offensive because it's saying you're not right. And number two, the cross says you cannot contribute to, by circumcision, or achieve your own salvation, or, or you could say it this way, or achieve your own rightness or acceptableness. You can't contribute to your rightness or acceptableness. You can't go up to God in heaven, let's do that kind of parable, and say, God, here I am, let me in, I was circumcised. You can't go up to heaven and say, God, here I am, let me in, I prayed the sinner's prayer. You can't go up to heaven and say, God, here I am, I'm a pretty good person in my mama's eyes. You can't go and say, God, I got baptized. I had church attendance that was near perfection. You can't do it through dependence on God alone, through the Spirit, by faith, that you get the promise of being right. That offends us. Three ways it offends us. A guy named Erwin Lutzer came up with these. One, it offends our sense of self. Because inside ourselves, we want to be good, and we want to tell ourselves we're good, and we're okay. It offends that ego, that pride, that vanity. It offends us to be said you're not good, and you can't contribute to your goodness. It offends our wisdom and our logic, because what does our wisdom and logic say? Especially, <coughs> excuse me, what does our wisdom and our logic say? Especially, 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 especially in America. If you work hard and get your act together, you'll be okay. You can make it. You can be a self-made man, a self-made woman. And that's offensive to say, no, you can't because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, if I just work hard, try hard, do better, I can be a better person. I can be okay. I can be... Cross says, no, you can't. And it also offends how we assign value. You know, we like to compare and classify, don't we? The cross says presidents and prostitutes. 
got to come through the cross. The cross says the rich, the poor, the good, the bad. In fact, the cross is an equal opportunity offender. Let's look at this politically. Liberals get offended by the cross because it seems exclusive and intolerant, and the cross offends the liberal mind. Conservatives say people just need to be moral. The cross says good people in your eyes and bad people. Got to go through the cross because there ain't no good people. So we've offended everybody, hadn't we? The cross is offensive on those three areas at least. And then Paul, to make the point even more, he says this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. No human act, no religious ritual accomplishes anything to make us right, to make us acceptable. You mean I can't do it? Because think of it this way. If, if you're kind of a Christian spiritual person and I walked up to you <clears throat> and I said, hey, how's your spiritual life going? How's your walk with God going? You are immediately going to think about certain performances, certain acts, certain habits, and you're going to say, well, I'm, 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 not, I'm not in the Bible. You're going to start looking at your performance, at your achievement. Or, hey, I'm in church every week. I'm praying more. I'm reading the Bible more. I'm doing, I am doing good. The cross says, no, you're not. That's offensive. What matters, faith, dependence upon God, working through love. What matters is, is a heart compelled, motivated, driven by love. And, and we're like, but Matt, if somebody's offensive to me and offends me, they ain't loving me. We'll get there. He continues. You were running well. So Galatians, you were going on the right path. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, this belief, <coughs> did not come from the one who called you. So this work, this performance-based, this circumcision did not come from God. So who kept you from obeying the truth? And so the cross offends another way. Because the cross says, this is point number three for us, the cross says that love must be attached to the truth. Love must be attached to the truth. Now, let me explain this, okay? Because this is where our culture has lost that love and feeling. All right? Let me explain this and make sure I, I, I'm clear. <clears throat> Here's what our culture teaches. If I am offended by something you did, if I am offended by something you did, then you automatically are not acting in love toward me, okay? If I don't feel the love in your word or your action or your behavior, if it feels offensive to me, if I determine you, your action, your, your behavior, your countenance, your attitude, if I feel it as offensive, then you are not acting in love toward me, that gives me all the authority. It allows me to get angry and stay angry. It allows me to play the victim card. It allows me to ask for pity. And it allows me to tell me, tell, say, you are wrong. And so thousands and millions of people are looking at Christ on the cross saying, 
It's offensive for you to say, that's what it takes to save me and make me right. It's offensive for you to say, that's the only way to God. So because I'm offended, God, you're wrong. Millions of people all over the world are saying that. Millions. Because if it feels offensive, then it's not loving. But let's step back. <clears throat> and let me reverse this. The genuineness of an act of love is not determined by the subjective feelings of the purpose of the person being loved. Let me say it again. The authenticity or the genuineness of the act of love cannot be determined by the subjective feelings of the person being loved. Let me illustrate it this way. Everybody here has a parent or had a parent. Some of us are parents, okay? You have loved your kid in a way that your kid didn't like. My daddy sure did to me. And at the time, I would hate my dad. I would be offended by my dad. But I'm 42, trying to raise two boys. My dad raised two boys. I'm like, dad was pretty loving to do that to me. My butt didn't feel it at the time, but he was loving me. So my point is this. My point is this. You understand that just because you feel offended subjectively, just because it doesn't feel like love, does not mean it isn't love. If my friend is, playing, is walking across the street, and I see a car coming down the road, and it's barreling toward him, and I can tell the driver doesn't see it, and I tackle my friend and scrape his knees all up but get him out of the way, and he stands up and says, what are you doing? You offended me. You can't be loving me. But then he sees the car go by, and he's like, thank you. You love me a lot. You see? So just because subjectively I feel offended, just because subjectively my pride is offended, just because subjectively it hurts to believe that I can't contribute anything to my own rightness does not mean I'm not being loved. Let me take it another step. A God that won't offend can't love. If I never discipline my kids, am I a loving parent? When you pay for them to sit in prison because I haven't as a dad taught them to respect authority and you see their disrespect at 16 and 17 and 18 and the policemen start dealing with them, you start saying, who is their dad? Oh, yeah, that's right. He never spanked them. He never disciplined, never made them mind, never made them respect, never made them do anything they didn't want to do. That's not a loving father. If you can understand that about earthly human fathers like Matt Evans or whoever your dad and your mom was, doesn't it make sense that a God of infinite knowledge, a God of eternity, a God of infinite wisdom... Doesn't it make sense that he's going to love us in ways that certainly initially will seem offensive? But that doesn't mean he's not loving us. Paul continues. <clears throat> A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. 
So a little bit of this thinking that I can be right on my own, a little bit of this thinking I can achieve my own rightness, acceptableness, and salvation, a little bit of that, Paul's like, is like yeast in the bread and it affects everything. I have confidence in the Lord you will not accept any other view. But here, and Paul gets pretty serious because he's, he's like, the people who are teaching you otherwise, he doesn't believe they're loving at all. Listen to his language. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? They're here persecuting Paul because Paul's up there preaching an offensive message. In that case, now we understand where we were at the beginning, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who were disturbing you might also get themselves castrated. Woo! Hey, just take the knife on up a few. It just got real in here, didn't it? I love the Bible. <coughs> For you were called, we're back to the word we started with, you were called to be free. And I know some of us are like, how does this make us free? We'll get there. Here's the thing. The cross says that other gods, both religious or secular, will enslave us. Other gods, both religious or secular, will enslave us. Like, just take the secular gods of money, power, and beauty. Money, power, and beauty. You know what you got to keep doing? Working hard, protecting it, promoting it, more, 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 maintain it, maintain it, maintain it, and there's this inherent insecurity in that life, and you become a slave to money. You become a slave to if people think you're beautiful enough. You become a slave to to try to maintain and preserve your power. The secular gods of money, sex, and power, money, sex, and beauty, money, power, and control, they enslave us. Because you're always serving money. Money becomes your God. Maintaining control and power becomes your God. Being beautiful in the eyes of the world becomes your God. And you start looking at yourself in the mirror and suddenly you hadn't lost enough weight yet or your pecs aren't big enough yet and you got to go harder and more and more and more and more and more. And you're enslaved. Religion does that. Because religion says you got to get your list right, you got to do enough good things, enough check, 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 checks, and you're like, have I done enough? And then when you don't do something, then you got guilt going on and fear, and like, have I done enough? Have I not done enough? Fear, insecurity, fear, insecurity, and you're a slave to your religion. Only the cross, which says you can't bring anything with you, makes us free. How? A couple of implications for us. So first, let's beware of superficial Christianity that is incapable of revealing our deep flaws and therefore is incapable of making us right to God. Beware of superficial preaching. Beware of superficial teaching. Beware of superficial feel-good Christianity that never, ever offends you. It's, like, it's as simple as this. If you and I are out to eat and I get salad stuck between my teeth and you don't say anything to me for three hours, hey, how you doing with salad in my teeth? That's a, we got a little superficial relationship going on. If you can't say, hey, Matt, get the, get the lettuce out of your teeth. Our hearts are broken. We're wounded. We're deeply flawed. God offends us. He tells us that. Not to, not to shame us. To save us. Say it this way. Jesus offends the us that needs to die anyway. Jesus offends the part of us, the us, that needs to die anyway. 
that's rebellious against God, that says, I don't need God, that says, I want to be independent. I want to make the created me above the creator, God. Secondly, <clears throat> we need to recognize that cover-ups don't work. Our souls need to be exposed by the cross in order to feel safe before the cross and fully loved by God. We need to be exposed by the cross and realize that we cannot bring anything to the cross. We literally stand at the cross naked, but we don't stand there to be destroyed. We don't stand there to be condemned. We stand there to be loved at the deepest part of our soul. We stand there to be made right before God, and His desire is to have us be safe before Him and safe in His presence. And what happens with religion or circumcision is we hide and we're like, hey, I've been circumcised, so I'm okay. I have prayed a prayer, attended a class, walked an aisle, so I'm okay. And the answer is, well, maybe you are and maybe you're not. But if your soul has never been laid bare, laid naked before God, and God has not been able to touch that, have that, because you're playing cover-up wearing a mask, then God has not fully loved you. God has not been able to access the deepest part of who you are to save you. I want to read a story. It's a testimony. And here's the, here's the thing. I'm not going to say this guy's sin. Because the moment I do, it'll become all about his sin. And I just want you to hear his words, though. Let me just say a hearty thank you to my wife and my parents and my family and my friends who cared about me enough to offend me. I get a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach when I consider the ramifications in my life had the people in my world bought into the lie that to love me was to affirm my sin. When I left my wife, she boldly told me that she knew God could work in me and in our marriage and that she would not pursue divorce. She protected herself and her interest, but she always professed her love for me and her desire to work through this together. My parents and other family members told me what I was doing was wrong. They called frequently to check on me, sent me money when I needed it, came to see me on my birthday, flew me home for my holiday for holidays. My friends would drive hours to talk to me about what I was doing, and they told me what they believed. They, they flew from other towns to take me to dinner and try to convince me to get help and to turn from what I was doing. They sent me le cards and letters full of love and affirmation of our friendship, and each one of them offended me. They made me angry. I viewed them as unenlightened or ignorant or prejudiced and hateful. After all, if they truly loved me, wouldn't they accept and affirm me? I ignored their calls and viewed them with skepticism. I did my best to sever relationships with those who were offending me, but they would not let me go. They did not coddle me, but they refused to give up on me. Today, My marriage is restored and has grown beyond my imagination. I have three beautiful children. I'm living out the call of God in my life. Healing has happened in my family, and I am closer to that cadre of friends than ever before. I wonder where I would be if my pastors and spiritual shepherds had encouraged me to accept the very thing I needed to lay before the cross. 
I shudder at the thought. I knew it must have killed them to think of losing me, but they loved me enough to take that risk. Thank you, dear friends, for your offense to me. At the time, the truth you shared was the aroma of death, but today it is a sweet fragrance of life. So, the powerful thing then is when that grips us and God loves us deeply, then what happens is what Paul said would happen. Faith through love replaces pride through works. Faith through love replaces pride through love, through works. So here's what the, here's what the cross does, cross-shaped faith. It pushes out guilt, fear, and ego, okay? See, whenever you're working for something, your identity, whenever you're working for your rightness, your acceptability, these three things can automatically be at play. So you feel guilty because you can't do enough or you you can't overcome the bad you've already done. And so when you're guilty, you're self-focused and you're introverted and and, and you're introspective and you have pity and and you're depressed and you can't think of giving yourself away to love someone else. So it kills love. It destroys love. Or you're fearful that, you know, uh, you're going to be found out. Or you're fearful that one day you won't have what it takes in your profession or your career or your class or your, your, uh, or your religion. And, and you're fearful. And fearful people are, are afraid to give themselves away in love. Or your ego. You're like, wow, look at me. I'm doing really good, really good, really good, really good, really good. It's all about me, 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 me. And you can't love people when you're all about me, 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 me. So faith through love pushes all these things out of the human heart. So now you have a heart full of the love of God. God, based on the truth of God, through the cross of Christ, and you can love people with the same love God has loved you with. So I want to ask you the question, has the cross ever offended you? Have you ever, ever laid yourself open before God himself and realized the four words that define and describe what's called the gospel or the good news. It's this, Jesus in my place. I deserved it. That's offensive. He took it for me. That's loving. I can't earn it, deserve it, or achieve it. That's offensive. I just have to stand here and receive it. That's grace, and that's love. If today you would like to make Jesus your king, Jesus your Lord, and stand before the cross, offended yet loved, and what I'd ask you to do in a minute, I'll pray, and you can just tell God you're giving your life to him. I'd ask you to take a next step card out and say, I'm giving my life to Jesus, giving him the steering wheel, asking for him to be my savior, king, and leader. We'll get in touch with you, and your next step is baptism. Oh, I might, and if you've already been baptized, it didn't mean anything. You weren't a new person when you got baptized. Or maybe here recently you have given Jesus the steering wheel of your life. You have been offended and then loved at the cross. Maybe your next step is baptism or small groups and Bible study or membership in a church, or you're ready to start serving through the church so your faith through love can operate. Whatever your next step is, those next step cards are for that. You can give those to someone at the connection centers or your campus pastors or there's drop boxes at every exit at every campus. I'm going to pray and I want us all to rest and maybe be a little offended, but be ultimately and eternal loved 
by the greatest news ever in four words, Jesus in our place. Let's pray together, Rockbridge. So Holy Spirit, we just read about you by the Spirit through faith. Holy Spirit, I pray you would give rise to faith in our hearts, birthing hope in the fact of the offense of the cross, Jesus in our place. Holy Spirit, if you're talking and wooing and drawing someone to you, I I pray, God, they would just pray back to you, something like I'm praying. Holy Spirit, King Jesus, I see you, I hear you, I want your life, I want your death. I want you to take my sins. I want you to take the steering wheel. I want you to be my king and my savior. Thank you that you are mighty to save. Mighty to save. God, maybe some of us, we just needed to be offended to realize how much you love us. That you love us as we are, but you refuse to leave us as we are. So God, let us just sit at the foot of the cross. Maybe be offended but really be loved. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to offend us so much. In your mighty name we pray, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.